Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. Great job. Thank you, band. It's a talented crew up here. Montrose Church, how are you? So good to be with you. No, I'm not Dave. And you can be thinking and praying for him and Cindy. They're enjoying some time with family, um, which is fun because that means I get to preach. And that... (laughs) Thank you. So we're going to be closing out the Back to Life series. This was a quick little series, three-week series. Started on Easter Sunday, talking about the resurrection. Pastor Dave preached last week, and I will be closing it out this morning, and then Pastor Dave will begin the next series next week. So you want to be here for that. But this one should be a fun one. We're going to talk about restoration. Restoration. And I want to begin with this. Do you like movies? Some of us, right? Some of us. People like movies. A lot of people like movies. It's okay if you don't like movies. I like movies. Shaylee and I love movies and going to movies. If we have a free kind of weekend night, we might go see a movie, you know, might go see a movie. Um, and my favorite kind of movies are superhero movies. I love superhero movies, love the action, love kind of the story behind how did the superhero get their powers, all those kind of things, right? And no one does superhero movies better than Marvel Studios, okay? Uh, Marvel Studios, a subsidiary company of Disney, right? And maybe you've heard of Marvel Comics and Stan Lee was the creator of, of all those superheroes and stuff. And now Marvel Studios creates these massive films. Some of the highest grossing films in all of the world are from Marvel Studios. And I love Marvel movies. And, and one thing that's cool is, is Marvel movies created some famous superheroes, right? But they also kind of kick-started this thing called the post-credit scene, the end credit scene. And uh, it's officially called the post-credit scene. Some people describe it the end credit scene, whatever. But, but basically, it's, the movie ends, and the credits roll, and the credits are kind of long, right? But then there's a post-credit scene. There's a scene after the credits, and this was created by the uh, kind of the who runs Marvel, Kevin Feige, who watched a movie in the 80s and it left an impression on him because it had this end credit scene. And so he brought this to the whole Marvel universe, all the superhero movies. So if you ever go to a Marvel movie, you'll notice that when the movie ends, people are cheering most of the time because they're usually pretty good. You know, there's, there's the occasional dud, right? But they'll be cheering, but then nobody moves. Everybody waits. Because they know their condition, there's going to be that end credit scene, that post-credit scene, right? And post-credit scenes are awesome, and that's why people stay, because they're usually so good, because they give us a glimpse of what's to come. What's going to happen to these superheroes? What's next? Where are they going to go next on this journey, right? Now, I tell you all that this morning, because I think our John text for this morning is kind of a post-credit scene. It's a scene that, that maybe you're like, wow, this could have ended nice in 20, and I'll show you why in a second, but it ends nice in chapter 20, but oh wait, there's, there's more, there's more, and it gives us a glimpse of how Jesus wants us to live in light of the resurrection. Um, so, so let me show you a little more here. This is uh, the end of chapter 20, and Pastor Dave read this last week, so this is chapter 20, uh, 26 through 31. See how this ends, church. A week later, this is after the resurrection, right? A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. 
Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord, my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. What a great ending, right? The resurrection, the empty tomb, Thomas the doubter shows up. Jesus bears the scars of victory over death and sin. And Thomas declares, my Lord, my God, I was wrong. And then John ends chapter 20 with saying, believe in Jesus. Believe he is the Messiah. Believe in his name. Believe in his name. Great ending, right? But there's more. The credits roll, but everybody needs to stay in their seats, right? Chapter 21 has a lot to say to us. All right, so we're going to read chapter 21 together here. Uh, 21, 1 through 25. Now, it's a little bit long, but hang with me because I think we need every bit of it. John chapter 21, 1 through 25. It's going to be on the screens here. This is the post-credit scene. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple who Jesus loved, that's John talking about himself, right? It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When it landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Remember that verse. Don't forget that verse right there, that little verse number nine. There was a fire with burning coals on it. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153 fish, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Okay, verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the disciples 
that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things, who wrote them down. We know that this testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would have been written. End credit scene. Right? There goes the post-credit scene. And church, I'm so thankful that John included this. And with this post-credit scene, I just want us to think of one main question. One main question throughout this, uh, throughout this entire sermon, and it's this. Why Peter? Why does John end his gospel, his writings about Peter? Peter, maybe you know a little bit about Peter. He's a, he's a gung-ho leader, right? Energetic guy. But he's a leader who continues to get it wrong. And not just a little bit wrong, but dead wrong. Most of what he does in relation to following Jesus is wrong. He gets it wrong in Caesarea Philippi when after confessing Jesus as Lord, he doesn't want Jesus to go to Jerusalem for the crucifixion, right? He's wrong at the Mount of Transfiguration. He's wrong at the foot washing when he says, no, no, Jesus, you can't wash my feet. No. He's wrong in the Garden of Gethsemane when he chooses violence and cuts off the soldier's ear, right? And Jesus is like, no, Peter, no. Peter gets it wrong a lot of the time. And John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, it seems from everything that we've read, they have a great relationship. They're very close. He has a much better track record than Peter. But John doesn't talk about any stories about him and Jesus, right? And it doesn't end with any cool conversations that him and Jesus had, right? None of that. He ends with Peter. Stories of Peter, right? One big story, and I'm going to break them up into three little stories, but it's all about Peter. Why? Why? To answer this and get to the truth that I think John is trying to tell us, we have to look at every one of these little stories in chapter 21. You guys ready? All right, let's go. Let's keep it going here. The first Peter story. The first story that John gives us is on the beach in Galilee. Sometime after the resurrection, scholars think that it's about nine days after the resurrection. And Jesus has already commissioned the disciples. He says in John 20, 21, just as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. So that's already happened. So you would think that the disciples would be out teaching and proclaiming Jesus, right? But they're not. They're fishing. After three years of traveling with Jesus, the highs and lows, the miracles, the amazing things they had seen, and now just lately, right, the cross and the resurrection, you'd think that they'd be out proclaiming Jesus, talking about the resurrection to everyone they knew, right? But they're not. They're fishing. They're fishing. And here's why I think they're fishing instead of proclaiming the risen Christ. And this connects with what Pastor Day has been talking about the last couple weeks in this series. The first century Jews would have, no underst- would have understood that the resurrection happened at the end of time, right? But Jesus' resurrection happened in the middle of time, and it changes everything. They didn't understand this new resurrection life and all it had meant for them. They thought it was still just for after they had gone. They thought that it didn't have anything to do with them until they were dead, right? So they were confused. They didn't understand. They didn't understand that this new creation life, they were called to be a part of it right now and to do something about it right now. They knew Jesus was raised from the dead, but they didn't quite understand it all right, which is pretty typical of the disciples missing it. 
So what are they doing? Oh, they're doing what they know best, fishing, fishing. Now, they haven't caught anything all night. And some guy from the shore yells, hey, try the other side. And they're like, well, we haven't caught anything, so let's try it. So they try it, and sure enough, a massive haul of fish, right? And then their brains kind of start moving. Hey, wait a second. We know someone who called out to us three years ago while we were fishing. And we know there's only one person who could make this kind of stuff happen with the fish. So John goes, it's Jesus. It's the master, Jesus. And Peter wastes no time, man. He's in the water. He's like, I'm going to go see Jesus. And Jesus asked them to join him for breakfast. And a little side note, but how sweet would it be to have breakfast with Jesus? That'd be pretty sweet, huh? Where would we go? Black Cow Cafe, cafe right? Uh, Denny's? Maybe. Probably not Denny, maybe. Where would we go, right? Someday I think we'll have breakfast with Jesus, you know? Um, so he, they joined Jesus for breakfast. Now, one important thing that I kind of pointed out when I was reading is this verse 9, 21, uh, 9. And I, I kind of think it sets the scene for what's really happening here and what's to come, right? So let me read this again. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with three fish on it and some bread. Now, the word, the, the charcoal fire word here is this word, athrakian, and it only appears twice in all of Scripture. It appears here in chapter 21, and it appears in chapter 18 of John. So just a few chapters before. This is the only places it's ever used. And what's John 18? Let me refresh your memories here. John 18 is when Jesus is arrested. The disciples are scattered. Everyone's scared. What's going to happen to the Messiah, to the Lord? Right? Peter follows Jesus, but now he has to wait outside because Jesus is now being questioned. And let me read the rest of it here. This is John 18, 15 through 18, 25 through 27. Right? Just a little while before the cross. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Because the disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard, but Peter had to wait outside the door. The other disciple who was known to the high priest came back and spoke to the servant girl on duty there and brought Peter in. You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. He replied, I am not. It was cold and the servants and officials stood around a fire. That's that word, Athrakian charcoal fire they had made to keep warm peter was also standing with them warming himself jumping to verse 25 meanwhile simon peter was still standing there warming himself around the charcoal fire so they asked him you aren't one of his disciples too are you he denied it saying i am not one of the high priest servants a relative of the man whose ear peter had cut off challenged him didn't i see you with him in the garden Again, Peter denying it, and at that moment, the rooster began to crow. The second Peter story, uh, this story begins after breakfast, and there's a charcoal fire. Chapter 21, all right, there's a charcoal fire. And you can imagine how Peter is feeling. He's feeling uneasy, and he's probably feeling a massive amount of shame. He's happy his Lord lives but he denied the one who he said he would die for. And he denied him three times. So Jesus looks at him and asks him, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. 
The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him, the third time, do you love me? At this point, the third time, right, you can imagine Peter is emotional. He's broken. He knows the elephant in the room. He knows that he denied the Lord. Yes, Lord, I denied you. I messed up. And all I can say is that I love you and you know that I do. And Jesus replies, feed my sheep. Friends, why three times? Why three times? Because this is the reversal and the redeeming of the denials. This is Jesus removing the shame from Peter. Christ is restoring what Peter had given away. It's as if Jesus is saying to Peter, Peter, you're restored. You're already forgiven. Remember your calling. Feed my sheep. You're restored. Christ takes away the shame. And a question for us this morning is, what is shame? What is shame? Let's call it the fear of abandonment, the fear of not being enough, the fear that I can do something that can cause people to turn away. And we all experience shame, don't we? In little and big ways all throughout our life. And we learn from a very young age we should live in a way to avoid shame. So we protect against shame. Sometimes we even use shame against others. And maybe, right, shame can be used in, in, in a positive way. But that's not the shame we're talking about this morning. That's not Peter's shame that he's feeling. It's not you messed up. It's you are a mess up. It's not you did something bad. No, you are bad. It's not about the mistake you made. Shame tells us that, no, you are the mistake. And that's what Peter is feeling in this moment, broken, ashamed. And when I mention shame, what do you think of for our own lives, right? Your actions, your hurts, your wants. Do you ever worry if people could see the real you, the real stuff, you'd be abandoned or unwanted or ghosted by the friends? Ghosted by the people who said they loved us. Kurt Thompson, the author of a good book on shame, it's called The Soul of Shame. He describes shame as this. When we're seen at our worst, the person leaves the room and we wonder if they'll ever come back. What makes you wonder if people will come back? And maybe people have left you and left shame in your life, church. And if we aren't careful, we begin to put that same idea on the attitude of God, that God's mad at us and that Christ is done with us and he has nothing for us to do. But that's not the story. That's not the story. Picture the face of Jesus looking at Peter on the beach that morning by the charcoal fire, asking the third time, do you love me, Peter? Do you love me? This is the loving Jesus who knew everything that had happened, knew everything that would happen, and bared the scars of victory over death and sin and shame. He looks at Peter and he loves him in that moment. Do you love me, Peter? He restores Peter and he's calling Peter out of his own head. He's calling Peter to reality. Stop talking to yourself and giving yourself those stories that you can't be used by God. I'm restoring you, so feed my sheep. Get to work, Peter. Jesus loves him and reminds him, I've got plans for you, Peter. I've got plans, so you are restored. The shame is gone. Church, so many of us believe the lies of shame, that we will be exposed as frauds, 
And we believe these stories in our head that say we're mess-ups, we're not enough, that God can't use us. The enemy wants our life to be filled with shame because when we are bound by shame, we struggle to use our God-given gifts and talents and creativity for the kingdom. We struggle with that when shame holds us down, but we are free from shame. Don't you see the beauty of this text? Christ says, Peter, your shame is gone. Feed my sheep. Go be on mission. And church, Christ restores us. He takes away our shame no matter what we've done. Christ is in the business of restoration and redemption. So throw off the shame. Don't let it hold you back any longer. Peter, why are you fishing? Right, right. Peter, why are you, is it because of shame? I need you to feed my sheep. I need you to go be a shepherd. You shouldn't be fishing right now. You need to go be my rock. Church, our shame and sin is gone because of the amazing work of Jesus on the cross and the resurrection. Right, you remember Easter Sunday? It wasn't that long ago. The resurrection declares that we are free. We are free people. We're free indeed. And Jesus is trying to help Peter live into that. And Jesus is trying to help all of us live into that this morning. Eugene Peterson says this about kind of the scene that's taking place in John chapter 21. Peter, for as long as he lived, never forgot the link between the night of denials and this morning of grace. All right, the third little uh, story of Peter, it takes place right after Jesus said, follow me. And Jesus will repeat it three more times, right? We got this theme of threes in this chapter. And Jesus doesn't say, hey, Peter, I need you to lead. Lead in my name, Peter. No, he doesn't say that. Jesus doesn't say that. He says, you're restored, right? Feed my sheep and then follow me. And this is important because for, for way too much of Peter's life with Jesus, he's tried to follow Jesus and lead others on his own terms. It's going to be my way. And that's why he's kind of continued to get it wrong. So Jesus tells him, Peter, follow me. Feed my sheep and follow me. Keep your eyes fixed on me. And what does Peter immediately do? Verse 21, when Peter saw him, he asked, he saw John, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. So as soon as Jesus said that to Peter, Peter immediately looks around, right? What about John? What about John? Jesus says, Peter, don't worry about John. You worry about you. You've got work to do. Follow me. Church, following Jesus demands our full attention. There's no time to speculate on how others are doing or get lost looking around. We must keep our eyes locked on Christ. Comparisons will only slow us down from our calling. Now, can we learn from each other? Yes, absolutely. Can we spur each other on in faith? Absolutely, and we should. But that's very different than getting caught in the comparison games. Comparison steals our joy. Have you guys ever been on social media? You know this, right? There's all kinds of studies about how when we stare at social media and scroll, right, the comparison game is going on in our head, and it chips away at us, right? So we have to be careful about that. Comparison can slow us down. Jesus tells Peter, follow me. It doesn't matter what John's doing. I've got a plan for him too, but I need you to focus on you. 
follow me. Church, you have a unique calling. Did you know that? You have a unique calling. So don't try to compare your journey, your walk with anybody else. Fix your eyes on Jesus and follow him to the best of your ability. And can we learn from each other? Yes, yes, right? I'm not saying that. We can learn from each other and we should. But don't let comparison slow you down. God's got plans for each and every one of you, church. And you know why? You know why that is? Because you're you. You're you. And no one else is you. It's a crazy thing, right? So God's got a plan for you. He's got a unique calling for you. So keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Go after it with all you have. Peter, don't worry about John. Follow me. Follow me. So back to that original question, why Peter? Why does John start his, excuse me, end his gospel talking about Peter? Why Peter? Because we're all Peter. We mess up. We get it wrong. We're trying to follow Jesus, but we misstep. We miss the mark. But Christ continues to remind us of something, right? You're restored. You're restored. John wants to help us understand how this glorious resurrection life gets lived out in the streets. Resurrection life lived by ordinary people like you and like me, right? Like Peter. People who are moms, dads, grandparents, teachers, coaches, accountants, lawyers, engineers, actors, and everything else, right? I just made a little list because I know it's everybody. We don't wait until we die to experience and participate in the resurrection life. We start now. We start now. Wherever you are, in whatever job you have, in whatever circumstance you have, with your family, with your community, you start now participating in that amazing resurrection life right now. Do we mess up? Yes. Do we deny and betray Jesus? Sometimes we do. Not always with our words, but with our lives, right, with our actions. But Christ is there reminding us, hey, you're restored. Get back on track. Feed my sheep, Peter. God looks at us with love and reminds us, you're forgiven. Remember your calling. He restores us. He restores us, church, and that's good news. And then he reminds us here at the end, don't you dare look around. Don't do it. Don't get caught in the comparison game. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. He's got something unique and special for every one of us. So keep your eyes fixed on him. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus restores Peter. And church, he restores us. He does. And then commissions us out. All right, I want to invite the band back up. We're going to take communion here. It's a great way to close this. And we're going to pass the plates. And church, just a moment of reflection now. We kind of get ready and get the plates and everything. How are you doing with shame in your life? Right? I know not all of us struggle, struggle with, uh, you know, big amounts of shame. Some of us do. Little and big amounts, things. But I want you to remember this story and how Jesus looks at Peter and restores him. Don't let shame slow you down any longer. 
Why are you fishing, Peter? Come on, man. I need you to be a shepherd. I need you to remember your calling. One of the ways we remind ourselves that we are restored people is partaking in the Lord's Supper. Reminding ourselves of what Christ did on the cross for us. It's also a reminder that he is here with us, empowering us to go from this place and be his resurrection people, right? So we're going to play a little song, and the ushers are going to come, and we're going to pass the plate. Then we'll take communion together after. say a prayer of blessing over them gracious God thank you we hold these elements in our hands they mean so much because of what you've done so would they be a means of grace for us as we participate together as the body of Christ and those online who join us body broken for us blood poured out for us Would we remember the amazing restoration found in you? Amazing restoration that says your sin and shame is gone. And we partake in these elements to remind us of that this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. We love you. Amen. On the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it. Said, eat in remembrance of me. Church, take and eat. After dinner, he took the cup. So this is my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins, church, take and drink in remembrance.
Jesus. Amen and amen. Let me just say one more quick prayer real quick. Gracious God, thanks for today. Thanks for everyone in this room. We love you, Jesus. Go with us from this place. Help us be your resurrection people in a world that desperately needs you. Would you empower us with your spirit to be your people? We love you, Jesus. Amen. All right, church, you are dismissed. Go in his peace. Love you guys. Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.